I was telling um, Emmeline Parker, the nice thing is I'll be able to have a track <laughs> of each individual bike. <laughs> that was honestly kind of very satisfying. So if Parker were to do something like that in the middle of the podcast, I could just cut out his mic. You wouldn't hear it. But it's you good, better not do that. <laughs> I would never listen to your podcast again. <laughs> oh, come on, Parker. How could you do this to me? I don't know. I'm sorry. I need my Ultra Fiesta Mango. Very healthy stuff, I admit. <laughs> That's one of the worst flavors, but it's fine. What? You just chose wrong. Okay, this is our hot take. We, we start the podcast <laughs> on right here. And welcome back to the Audacious Podcast, the show where we teach you how to think differently and live differently. I'm Talon Bulmy, your host for the podcast. I'm very excited for this episode because we have a stacked lineup of guests. We have with us Parker Rose. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Parker? Pretty good. We have with us Michael Dye. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing great, Talon. That's good to hear. And we also have with us a third guest, Emily Butts. Hi, how are you, Talon? I am fantastic, phenomenal. How are you, Emily? I'm doing super well. Thanks for having me here. That's good to hear. Now, before we do jumping into the main part of this podcast, I do want to give a more proper introduction to all of our guests. So, Parker, we'll start with you. If you could quickly tell us your major, uh, your hometown, and if you have any hobbies that you're passionate about. Okay, so I'm a neuroscience major. Um, I'm from Kannapolis, North Carolina, near Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right. And um, I love to longboard and um, study art and also read as my hobbies. But okay. I kind of change them up every few months. So yeah, like so, a lot of different things. I get that. I'm in the same boat as you. But so reading, do you prefer nonfiction, fiction? Fiction. Okay. Or uh, nonfiction. Nonfiction, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, what genre do you usually lean towards? Um, I don't know. I'll do like different books on scientific issues or I'm reading like a um, story about Ebola right now that's like a, it's a nonfiction, but it's like really interesting. Mm. Um, so, right. yeah, I stick more towards nonfiction. But I thought you were going to say that uh, you just enjoy reading the encyclopedia. You just start going no. from A to Z. I mean, that, <laughs> you know. Every Tuesday, I come to the library. <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah. I kind of just, I don't know. I don't really have like a set thing, but just kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great. Well, Parker, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for being here. And Emily, if you could, tell us your major, your hometown, and what's your favorite thing to do in your free time. Okay, well, I am an elementary ed major with an add-on in special ed learning disabilities, and then I just recently added a minor in youth ministry. My hometown is Concord, North Carolina, which is also near Charlotte, so Parker and I are only about 20 minutes apart. Favorite thing to do in my free time would probably be something sporty, especially Ultimate Frisbee. Big fan of that. Mm -hmm. That's sweet. Okay, now elementary education. So what got you into that? Well, it was a couple things, interestingly enough. I was in a speech class, and one day my teacher sent me out into a breakout room with a student and said, help him learn how to write transition sentences. So it was just me and this other little student, and I loved it so much. And I was like, I think I want to teach. And then in 
connection with that, I worked at a therapeutic riding ranch serving kids with special needs and getting to be with that community also encouraged me in my desire to serve kids. That's amazing. That's so cool. Well, Emily, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. And also, finally, but not least, Michael Dye. If you would, Michael, tell us your hometown, your major, and what's the strangest food you've ever had? Okay. Well, um, hometown, that one's always fun. Uh, I'm actually uh, originally from Venezuela, Caracas, Venezuela. That's where I was born. It's where I lived for 11 years. Um, But the last seven years, I've been in the Canary Islands, Spain, specifically the island of Tenerife. Um, And it's kind of weird to say hometown because it's kind of both. but, But yeah, it's kind of what I would say is my hometown, half Venezuela, half Canary Islands, Spain. As far as my major, I'm a computer engineering. Uh, At least that's what I think I'm going to be doing. It'll either be computer engineering or electrical engineering or something along those lines. Um, And then the weirdest thing I've eaten, that was the question, right? Yes. Shoot. Um, I think, I don't know if it's that weird. See, there's two ways we can go. We can go with like gross as in like liver, right? But a lot of people have eaten liver, right? But then we can go on like unique but not too bad, which is peanut butter and pickle sandwich. What? Wow. It is a combo. (laughs) Um, Excuse me? I had it when I was little, and then I've had it a couple times more just to be like, because my family never let that die. They're like, you had a peanut butter and pickle sandwich, and you liked it. And I'm like, I guess I did. Here, wait, let me me make sure it was as good as I remember. And I'll make it. I'm like, doesn't fully go well together, but it's also what you expect. So, I mean, like, if you like peanut butter and you like pickles, you're just having both. So, yeah. <laughs> I could never. I could never. Like, you were talking that your family thought that, and that was my first thought. It's like peanut butter and pickles, huh? Yeah, no. Huh? It, Those it, go together in any space? My thought process when I was little was I like peanut butter, I like pickles, and then kind of just like a craving. I'm like, I want them both. What if together? And <laughs> it just tasted like both. It just It's multitasking, really, but for food. That's great. That's great. Now, I do want to backtrack a little bit. So you said you were born in Venezuela, mm-hmm. and then right now you're living in Spain, which you could say is like your hometown where you are right yeah. now. Uh, but right now you're in uh, Anderson, South Anderson, Carolina, South Carolina, at Anderson University. So you've uh, you've technically lived in three different countries, if I'm right. Yep. Technically, yeah, I've yeah. lived in three different countries. What's that been like? Like, what is the hardest thing that you've had to deal with moving from one country to another? Um. I think one thing it kind of, and I'm lucky that I'm naturally very extroverted and like meeting new people. Um, but one thing with moving from place to place is kind of just, it teaches you a lot to, obviously you want to make new connections, but it also just teaches you. And I feel like military kids would also relate, even if it's not different countries. Um, just moving a lot uh, just shows you that there are very few people in your life that you'll always be with. Um, and so you can take that multiple ways. It can be cherish, you know, the little time you have with different connections you make in different moments of your life. Um, or it's also just cherish the people that you will have for most of it. Um, but yeah, they're like the biggest takeaways I've had. Yeah, that's good. Well, Michael, I'm so happy to have you on today's episode of the Audacious Podcast. Love that name. <laughs> It's a good one, isn't it? Yes, sir. And also, there is a question before we jump into 
the meat and potatoes of the podcast, if you will, uh, that I like to ask every guest that I have on this show. So, Parker, I guess we'll start with you. What would you say, Parker, is your hottest take, your most unpopular opinion? So, um, I believe that The Good Place is a better show than The Office. Okay. Um, And I say that as someone who has watched, okay, I've actually not watched all of The Good Place, so I feel like I'm not actually able to make an entire judgment. I have not watched the entire fourth season, but I have watched enough of The Office to be able to make this judgment, I feel like. Mm. And so I honestly just feel like The Good Place is funnier than The Office. You think that's an objective fact? No, I, I, I don't. I think it's just <laughs> I am open to other people's interpretations and preferences, but I, I just see a lot more potential and entertainment in The Good Place. Wow, okay. I don't know if any of you guys have a strong attachment to The Office. I have Can't barely say watched The personally Office. I do. I've, I've seen the whole. Never okay. watched it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen all of the Good Place and really like that show. But yeah. I haven't seen The Office. Yeah. Maybe that. But as far as I know, um, The Office is more like a one-off series where it's like each episode is its own story. Uh, is that the same for The Good Place, or does it have a continuing narrative? It's definitely a continuing narrative. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, every season is so like crazy different from the last one like it's just such weird stuff happens and they have all these plot twists um yeah but yeah i don't know how it ends so i (laughs) i've heard the ending's really good but i've just not seen that i I really liked it yeah and i haven't seen either show i haven't watched either but i will say i've seen much more of the office just from the endless supply of clips online and memes online that you'll see these like one jokes or a couple of jokes from and it's like yeah yeah. So I feel like the majority of people would disagree with you on that. I think so. That's kind of why I picked it. I was like, a lot of people have a very strong attachment to The Office and would totally see it as a classic that like people should not take shots at. But like, I don't know. It's The Good Place, just the four central characters are very well done. And they're all really fun to watch and how they interact. And they're all very different. And I feel like, the office is a little more improv so I think you just pick up on that a little bit when it's a little like sometimes it just doesn't feel fully planned out. But again, that's just my observation. So Yeah, that's good. Hey, Parker. Thank you. That yeah. was good. And uh, let's go with you, Emily. What right. would you say is your hottest take, your yeah. most unpopular opinion? Well, I don't know that I have that many super hot takes, but one that has definitely got some of my family members is for several kinds of cereal, you know, normally you get your cereal and then you put the milk in the cereal and you eat them as a unit. But I think that it tastes better if you get the milk in one bowl and the cereal in a different bowl, and then you don't combine them until right as as you're putting it in your mouth. So, yep, just get some cereal on the spoon, dip it in the milk, and then go right in the mouth. (laughs) So that's my hot take. I want to say that's not necessarily like a, I don't, I don't think many people will disagree that that's better because I feel like most people would agree that that just keeps it from being soggy. But and is some, it worth the weirdness that, of yeah, it? That's, that's what I, I think that's it, where it Is it worth take. the effort? It, it is extra effort. It is, you know, twice as many bowls and 
takes more commitment. It takes more to eat, but I I think it makes it taste better. So no, I, I just couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried it. I will say, but it's like two bowls. Yeah, two bowls. Cereal? Now occasionally That's, you can put the milk you, you in like milk a cup. You put the milk in the cereal. You don't take the cereal and lightly dip it in the milk. I don't think you're helping yourself, Emily, by putting the milk <laughs> in the cup because then you have to take the spoon. And, what's the, what's the or physics? Or you can just put the cereal in your mouth and then like just drink a little. No. Milk. Oh my god! <laughs> that is way too much to wash as dishes later. Okay, uh, this is an audio only format, but I just imagine like Emily's head tilted back with like her mouth open and just pouring the milk <laughs> the cereal. <laughs> This could help you save dishes later on in life. Bro, okay, a compartmentalized bowl. It's a bowl that has two, has a wall, so you can. I need this. Put oh my the gosh. cereal in and move it into the milk, and then put it Just in your mouth. Just in like little sections. This yeah. guy's literally doing that. I think is, so. Is it cereal and milk in the picture? It looks like it. It yeah. looks kind of. Looks like some weird healthy cereal, but yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. Imagine it's like, being it's very granola looking. Not the <laughs> kind granola. I would eat. Where's the sugar? I still feel like. <laughs> yeah. Call me crazy, but I still feel like that's way too much effort. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Like, I feel like part of the experience of eating cereal is when it starts to get soggy. But soggy cereal is just better. Oh, now that's a hot take. Yeah, that is. <laughs> that, that, that is scalding. That is, that is a very hot take. No, some soggy honey bunches of oats or like soggy Rice Krispies once they start to expand. Name one thing. And it's follow- just like nice. Name one thing followed by soggy that is good. <laughs> Anything that's soggy. Soggy is a negative word. It is. I mean, not necessarily. Oh, it's yeah. You, like, you like, like when your socks get soggy? Okay. Well, that, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I don't necess- I mean, it's not the best thing, but it's it's all in whether or not you want that experience, mm. you know? See, I would say like soggy yeah. is sort of like moist. Some people get really uncomfortable when you say moist. Moist was on my siblings and I's uh, band word list. Ah. Yeah. Figures, wow. yeah. But like, yeah, you know. I don't but know. but band word is in, you know, cereal. nobody says it, which means you say it all the time because it's really funny because no one's supposed to say it. Yeah. It's, is it not a normal word? <laughs> what, soggy? No, moist. moist. It's just a word. Like, I've never thought of moist as anything other than like a cake. Really? Yeah. But here you are saying that soggy has a negative connotation. Yeah, because like soggy is the negative, moist is the positive. That is not true. That is not true. Moist cereal? (laughs) A moist cake? (laughs) Okay, moist cake, sure. But what about like moist socks or moist ground? Well, that's the thing. You don't say moist socks. You say soggy socks because it's negative. That's true. Well, no, soggy implies like an extra layer of like something soaking in almost. Whereas like like a soggy cake would be like (laughs) it's falling apart because it's all like soaked in. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So when something's like damp. In a positive way, then it's moist. If it's damp in a negative way, then it's soggy. I think that makes okay, sense. Maybe they are. Okay, on maybe, a, maybe. Yeah. yeah that's, you that's, know what? Sure. We'll go with we'll, we'll go. With we'll that. have to. We'll have to talk through that. Sound again. logic. <laughs> you know what? I can't. Can't deny it. But man, that's pretty up there. <laughs> that's pretty up there. I will say. And I guess we still have one left. Michael Die. What would you say is your hottest take? So we talked about this one a little bit, uh, you and I, Talon. Um, But, yeah, my hot take is that continents are arbitrary. They really, like, there is no set boundaries and, like, reason why there are the amount of continents that we give it. So, for example, and this kind of has to do with, you know, my background, but at least in the United States, 
we're taught seven continents, right? North and South America are two continents, and Antarctica is a continent, right? In a lot of other countries, it can go to six or five. So I think in more common is five, and I think if that's why the Olympics rings are five rings, one for each of the continents. Oh, wow. Um, but a lot of European and uh, Latin American countries will teach that there are five continents because North and South America are one continent, America. And um, Antarctica isn't a continent. It's just, it's, it's, it's like a landmass. Um, but then you kind of start thinking, like, well, why would you say that there is a North and South America? It's like, well, it's because, you know, there's like, there's a clear division. You can see, like, it makes sense for them to be split. But then you think, well, why are Europe and Asia two separate continents? Like, what, what separates Europe and Asia? And there's this whole, like, it has a lot to do with, like, countries, like, political and economic connections and how, like, you can, like, group them together because of that. Like, you have, you know, the European Union, but that doesn't align fully with the continent of Europe um, and stuff like that. I don't know. Continents were just kind of, and I've, the reason why it's kind of a hot take is because my mom and I have gotten in discussions. Well, she'll be <laughs> like, the only reason Americans say there's seven continents because they want to be, like, they want to be special. They got to, you know, they're, they're North America and, are, and not South America, not part of one America. And I'm like, well, no, it's just because they chose to. And, and like, why would you, what argument is there for or against there being a North America or South America? It just is. Yeah. I mean, so when you say that continents are arbitrary, do you think the whole naming system of continents is pointless? Or uh, what are you trying to get at? No, it's useful. Um, what I think is arbitrary is the uh, kind of saying that there are these continents. Like, these are the ones that we have. Because um, you can always just have more or less. You know, go North America, Central America, South America. You could have Europe, Northern Asia, Southern, Southern Asia. Give them different names. Like, you can divide the world in many different ways, and we just settled on seven, six, or five. Yeah. That's the thing is um, Europe and Asia are even – it's a weirder division than the Americas because it's literally in the middle of Russia. It's like, so a it's, like thi- it's, a, it's like in the middle of a country, yeah. and then it's like a thick body of, like, ma- like land mass. Like, it's not like a little isthmus or something like that. No, it's – Yeah. It's like straight through, like – ground <laughs> and none of the lines are straight it's no. like yeah someone just scribbled with a pencil down the map and they're like that's the line that's not like state lines that's really like you could take that much further like state lines and country lines to a large extent or i mean like there's a lot of states um along the i think mississippi river that are determined mm-hmm. by that and you can see that on a map um but like a lot of things could have been mapped out very differently even with how counties are done um, it's very interesting how different countries approach that. And like that brings up another question, um, because you're saying that really these continents and land of or areas of land that we group into different areas and give it different areas and names. Um, you're saying it's arbitrary because um, there's no rhyme or reason to it. When you go to a different country, you get so many different answers depending on where you are. Is that necessarily a bad thing? I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. It's just kind of... And I think that's kind of what makes it a hot take is just because I feel like most people are just used to it. Mm. Um, And I feel like it's just a very neutral, like, if there were six continents, nothing would change in our lives. If there were eight, nothing would really change in our lives. It's just an arbitrary division that we learn for the sake of classification. And it just doesn't really do much to, to, like, 
really affect anything. They're, they just kind of are, and that's it's really funny because we're just used to being like, yeah, continents or whatever. Don't really think about it, but like, what even is the point? Like, why not instead of continents, just group them by, like you know, you have Latin America, right? Right. That there's a difference between Latin America and South America. Latin America is very culturally divided. South America's just landmass. Um, so why did why did we just choose those lines? I just don't think it. I just, I just find it funny, arbitrary. I'd, I'm not against it. Yeah. Just, it just is, and it's yeah. funny to point out. That That's fair. And honestly, before you brought it up to me when we were talking about it, I did not even know um, that different countries had different number of continents that they refer to around the globe. I mean, come on. I was raised in America. Yeah. I thought I was always America. Saying, America. <laughs> um, but I think that goes to show just how um, oblivious a lot of us in the United States are to cultures around the world, different countries, the cultures, their societies, there, how things work and are classified around the world. Uh, I was doing some research because I was curious about this. Um, and I was getting some different results, different sites saying different things, but it was actually the range was the percentage of Americans that have never been outside the United States is somewhere between 40% and 60%, which averages about to one out of two people haven't left the United States. Uh, and that's huge, right? That's huge. That means they've been living basically in the same area of the earth for their entire life. And so they haven't had the experience of going outside of this country, seeing how things are done across the world, how um, different societies are, different cultures are. So a question that I did want to bring up, and Michael, I know you've had plenty of experience with this, uh, but for Parker and Emily as well, uh, have you ever been international before? And if you have, how has that affected how you look at life? Parker, go okay. ahead. We'll start with you. Yeah, go ahead and start. Um, so, yes, I have been uh, international a few times. Um, main The main two places I've been to are Canada and Mexico. Um, Canada because I have family there on my mom's side. My mom is Canadian. Um, and so the uh, my cousins, aunt and uncle, and my grandma all live in uh, Canada, Ontario. Um, and so I'll go up there for visits um, around holidays. And really, it's pretty darn similar to America, at least that part of Canada we visit. Um, except there's no Chick-fil-A. I'm very sorry to say that, Michael. There is now. In a, really? In, yeah, I have a, I also have family in Toronto, and they have... Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know what part of Ontario. Ontario is pretty big. Yeah. Uh, but at least in Toronto, closer to the border, there is now Chick-fil-A in Canada. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They've opened up at least one, if not two. Yeah. That's two. They have so much fast food, but that was the one thing I never saw growing up is Chick-fil-A. But hey, maybe they're expanding now. Um, but yeah, no, it was always very diff- very similar. I mean, obviously the weather is different. It's more gray skies and cooler weather during the summer. But for the most part, that's sim- uh, similar to America. And then... Uh, Mexico I've been to just for vacations, so I can't really <laughs> speak on that in like much of a cultural immersion sense. But um, yeah, that's, that's why I'm kind of trying to think through how it's how I've seen different cultural aspects. I don't really think I've seen anything significant in Canada that they can compare as different. Um, but with Mexico, I think from what I have picked up, I see a little bit less of that um, 
individual, the strong individualistic mindset um, that Americans have, mm-hmm. as well as the like super quick, um, all about efficiency, hard work kind of grind mindset that you also see here too is a little more foreign in say Mexico and I think a lot of times in Europe too. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to step outside of that perspective and realize not everyone thinks the same way as you do, which is, you know, I need to um, get all this work done and like constantly be doing a ton of work and like I'm all on my own with things and I need to focus on myself rather than say a more collective identity. Um, so that's one thing I've kind of been able to learn a little bit just from getting outside of the United States a little bit. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge cultural difference that is very widespread. So many countries outside the United States have a so much more focus and emphasis on community and family uh, than we do here in the U.S. Yeah. Like you were saying, we're very individualistic. Um, but cultures outside the U.S. are entirely based around family. Like you almost do nothing without your family around you. Yeah, and that's where I, I can't necessarily say I've experienced that difference myself but i i've you know oh gosh <laughs> michael i, I don't got know got if some you'll be able to <laughs> um we won't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> um just uh for context michael has uh pulled out of his goodie bag a full chick-fil-a fry side okay i need to so i was gonna save this for later <laughs> <laughs> yeah we need to include that definitely in the uh the final product but a little moment of silence for Sorry about that. No, um, but I was gonna I was gonna wait till like it was relevant to bring it up, but I guess it's kind of is relevant. So uh, one thing that not to go on a full on tangent to like lead us astray, but one thing that I'm doing and I have done for like the past, I want to say five years. Um, my best friend is Muslim, um, and one thing the Muslims do uh, every year is the month of Ramadan, in which they'll fast, and during the time that the sun is out, there's no drinking water or eating. Um, and that serves for multiple reasons. It's one, because it's part of their religion. They just kind of have to do it. But its purpose also is to draw closer to God, to um, experience what it is to not have um, food and drink. Um, and because my best friend was Muslim, one year, like one of the first years, I'm like, hey, Christians fast too, you know? And you're talking about like drawing closer to God. That's something Christians do too. And you talk about like, there, I started like, like, why can't I fast with you and so that started today um so wow i had to uh at least grab something to drink um earlier now food because i've not drinking water since last night wow Whoa. yeah so that's explanation why i inter- rudely interrupted your uh your um no worries yeah that's with, uh, chick-fil-a fries that's very impressive i now but they're food <laughs> i could not do that i don't think yeah i could i could probably do food but going without water yeah, no. Yeah, how how is that? Thing. How has that affected you? I mean, I've kind of gotten used to it. This is like the fifth time I've done it. I think it really depends on what you do throughout your day. Um, you don't realize how much energy you get from food, so you tend to be a lot more tired yeah. than you normally are. Um, and then, as far as water, uh, I don't know. It just you drink a lot before, like, because the way they do it is there's two big meals. Um, there's one called suhr, which is like the what you eat right at like 5 a.m., like before the break of dawn. That's kind of like to get strength for the day. 
And then there's iftur, which is what this would be technically, um, which is breaking your fast. Uh, mm. And so, but you normally try and drink a lot of water before and after. So your body is fine. You're just a little chapped, a little thirsty. Uh, yeah. But like, doesn't really uh, drain you physically, I guess, mm. more so than it just, you just want water. But I mean, yeah. that's all in your head. That makes sense. And yeah, I know that that does kind of tie into something I was going to bring up about different cultures, um, food and family go hand in hand, um, especially outside the U.S. So much of the family community and time that you spend with your community and your family is built around mealtimes. Like um, I've been to an Ethiopian restaurant and it was such an experience because they have like this type of sponge bread. It's like this huge mm-hmm. just um, piece of bread that you'll tear pieces off of, dip it into uh, like meat or like sauce and then just eat it. But like in Ethiopia, like that whole bread is like covering the table and you're just sharing with family in this, building your whole community around mealtimes. We don't really emphasize that in the United States, especially with how many restaurants, fast food we have. It's like you got to quickly grab something to eat and mm-hmm. then go. Um, but we're missing out on a lot of community, on a lot of time that we could spend uh, with just people we love, brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask, Michael, have you uh, personally seen anything like that and the differences there between Venezuela, Spain, uh, the U.S.? I don't really know the cultures there, how emphasized it is. but So you want to talk like specifically around food? Um, just in general, food um, and the emphasis on community. And um, yeah, so one thing that's kind of really interesting is Venezuela, and I think Latin America in general is very big on like family, culture, um, like it is normal to like greet people with a hug, you know, like there's, there isn't much of that, like more like personal space is kind of, that don't exist. You know, we're all, we're all one big family. So you'll like meet someone with a hug. I mean, then in Spain and in Venezuela, both like a common greeting for women is like, it's not fully a kiss on the cheek and more like kind of like greet them like, you know, like, and then it's just normal. But here that would be very kind of formal very different and it's all that's all culture but at the same time there's kind of like a more welcoming um kind of subtext when you know you're a little bit more open to be a little bit out of your comfort zone with people you don't really know but yeah as far as community that's huge in Venezuela but then in Spain uh, one thing that we kind of have to deal with especially when it comes to ministry because I don't know if I said it but I lived in Venezuela and Spain because my parents are missionaries um, and especially when it comes to ministry, you kind of notice that in Spain, they're a lot more closed off, a lot more. I don't know how much you guys know of like Japanese culture, but one thing that's kind of known there is that everyone kind of minds their own business. Well, Spain is very similar. Um, like you're, you walk down the street and I have neighbors that I'll see walking down the street. And if I don't say good morning or how's it, how's it going? They won't say it to me. We just kind of pass by each other. Um, and that, that's definitely interesting, uh, Spain kind of just being weird like that um but but then at the same time there is I feel like it's it's kind of a human thing to like have form a sense of community it just varies from place to place how that plays out I guess like you talked about like sitting at a table you know not being so common here but then at the same time you have you know like let's go to cookout with friends you know like that's not something I would do back home um but I would have like and have friends over for, like, family lunch or whatever. Um, but, I mean, even here, most of the time when you connect with people, you'd be like, hey, let's grab grab a lunch or grab a bite to eat. So I think there is a certain degree of, like, universal 
like need to connect with people. I just feel like certain cultures make it easier or like harder to like understand where the other person lies. I feel like in the U.S., especially when you just meet someone, there's a lot more, um, a lot more you kind of have to like dance around being like, is it okay if I, you know, greet you with a handshake or a hug or, you know, like where, where's that like boundary um, that kind of makes things a little bit different. Yeah. It really sounds like you've experienced that whole spectrum um, from where you've lived from Venezuela being very community-based, U.S., which is leading more towards individualism, but there's still some community here. Uh, And then Spain, where you said it's very much in the culture, you're minding your own business. Um, How is seeing the differences in all of that, how has that changed uh, how you value community? How has that changed really how you look at life in general? Um, Well, I think one thing that, you know, you expect it to be a takeaway, which is just kind of understand that everyone comes from different backgrounds and a lot of times when you surround yourself with people that are very similar with you you don't realize how many things you think and say um, could rub people the wrong way or could come off as like I'm I don't take what you're coming from into consideration I feel like uh, that happens a lot more in the states with the I think especially being in the bible belt there's a lot of kind of religious conversation that come you can I, I've kind of seen a little bit of like I just not used to being in a predominantly atheist country um, and and I think that that's one thing that as I've you know one thing that I've been blessed with is to have that because uh, that's just I lived in an area where like almost everyone is atheist like to to be Christian you're kind of the outlier um, so being understanding that you can't just assume that people will agree with you on like worldview like that basic level um i think that kind of changes things a little bit yeah yeah that's good uh and emily i don't know if you've answered yet have you had the opportunity to be international I have not yet, although it'll actually change in a couple weeks. I'm going to England for the first time. My sister lives there. So I have kind of vicariously gotten to experience the world through her travels because she's been several countries. And one of the things that you were talking about earlier with food and family stuck out to me because when she went to Italy, she was trying to explain to us first that they have like literally the best food in the whole world and that when we try to eat pizza, it's it's nothing our pizza and pasta is shameful. But she said that lunchtime was a whole affair and it would be hours of just eating and talking and sleeping and relaxing and spending time together and everyone would take a break from work, which I think the predominant idea in at least our culture is you need to make things like mealtime as fast as possible, especially the lunch break, right? Because it's like, just take a quick break for food and then going back to work. But then the difference in even something like English tea, right? That's not just a, oh, I'm going to grab it to go. But no, we're sitting down together and we're spending time together talking and relishing the experience as a community. So even as as Michael sits there with his Chick-fil-A fries, you know, it's so much more relaxed and intentional which is something that I think we're lacking here and yeah. need more of. That's where it's it's interesting because at least in a work context, you get almost rewarded for taking a shorter mm-hmm. lunch break. Yeah. So if you can 
scarf down your sandwich in five minutes, whereas the other person takes a 45-minute break to call home and catch up or even just take a break from work and meet up with people and then grab a meal. The person with the five-minute break is going to be getting done more work. And so it's like that kind of is just what happens is I think in in this environment that we're in, that ability to push the community time aside and pursue the goal and the work is rewarded. And so in a lot of ways, I know with myself, I, I kind of struggle to be okay with taking time away from work and actually just doing something that's not work at all. That's just being with friends, being in community and enjoying the time. And a lot of that is created by like that hustle, I, the hustle culture sort of thing. But like that grind, grind set, is that the right word? Grind mindset. <laughs> yeah, grind set, yeah. Yes, Sig- Sigma yep. grind set, yep. I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I think it's like a real pervasive force where we can just find ourselves like waking up, working, going home, taking like a, watching like a 30 minute episode and then going to bed and repeating it. Yeah. And it's like, that's not, there's got to be more than that. Yeah. And I think you see other countries who seem to have that mindset different and they seem to have it figured out more with like that example you gave Emily of like three hour meal times, you know, in Italy, for example, where they're just building community and just literally there in the moment. And it's not about, it's not about, oh, I'm taking a break so that I can go back and do more work and feel rested because a lot of times that's how we see it here it's more like no i'm literally just doing this because it's like a good thing to do and it's enjoyable yeah that's what i was going to say is that it's not just a means to an end yeah but it is an end in itself and that's why you're there is for the community not because it's to get you on to the next step which is really a treasure i think it's also one thing that kind of can be overlooked. It's like, well, we should do that more often here. Um, But there's a lot of like culturally logistic things that you can't really change. Like, for example, in Europe and Latin America, like lunchtime, well, first, lunch is a bigger meal than dinner, which like gathering for like a dinner, like as you do here, that's not a thing in other countries. Or like in Italy, I can't fully speak for like Italy, but at least in like Spain or Venezuela. Um, like you don't so much gather for dinner, you gather for lunch and then dinner can be whatever, unless it's like a an event or something like that. Yeah. Um, whereas like here, dinner's the bigger meal. Lunch is kind of a, you know, a sandwich or something to go, um, something to get you through the day. And then on top of that, you have a uh, lunch being later on in the day. Um, at least in Europe and in, in Latin America, it'll mostly be like two, two thirty maybe. Um, which is a lot later than, you know, lunch tends to be here. And so you're a lot hungrier. And then you also have the fact that in the United States, there is the good um, benefit of having a lot of options to make preparing food easier. Um, Yeah. A lot of, like, easier ways to make food. But then that also means that, at least I've felt a lot that back home, if whenever you're grabbing a lunch, like you say, there's a lot of emphasis on this was made by someone. And normally, like, there's a lot of appreciation for, like, you know, you made us this meal or whatever. Um, And 
And I feel like that also, like it, it's it's all good things that you wish you could add here. But then I feel like there's a lot of value in being like, well, it's different cultures. So like what's an equivalent way in which Americans connect that's not that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You um, know, I feel like. But there there is something to say about learning from other cultures. Mm-hmm. And I loved what you were saying that like when people take time um, and effort to prepare something and you know they did, you can feel the love coming out of that way more than if you go and grab a McDonald's Big Mac, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's important. That's huge. That's a huge reason why we have such a workaholic culture. That's a big part of it. And more so than people give it credit is because we view food as a chore. We view it as something we need to do just to keep our bodies going rather than a time to relax, right? And enjoy community, enjoy family. Um, and just to be in the moment, be present. And I think there's also a lot to say of, like, it existing out of a need. Um, where I was like, I feel like the amount of easy options for food, um, they, they just, you know, one, like, because other countries have fast food. Like, Italy has food, fast food. Spain has fast food. Venezuela has fast food. Yeah. But most people can't afford to go to fast food that often. And so what that, or even, like, going out to eat. I feel like a lot of times you go out to eat either to fast food or to, like, an actual restaurant. Um, And that isn't quite nearly as um, financially uh, affordable as, like, buying the ingredients of the grocery store and making yourself food. Um, So I feel like a lot of times that culture can also just stem from, well, you know, we have to make ourselves a home-cooked meal, so might as well enjoy it, you know? Yeah. And thinking about it, like you said, cultures outside, countries outside of us, yeah, they have fast food, but they don't go to it and consume it nearly as much as we do in America. And it's like, it is, it's like we have so many options that are just thrown in our face that it's like, we just take it for granted a lot of time and we'll speed through it. I remember, um, so I've spent most of my time in America, but I did live in Canada for six months when I was two. So I remember nothing of it. <laughs> but I uh, did go to Nicaragua for a mission trip when I was uh, 11 years old. Um, and just that difference of their culture between America and there, it's so different. It's so different, right? I think we might have eaten out once or twice with the mission group that we had. And then all the rest of our meals were usually just um, beans and rice and tortillas um, up at the um, place where we were staying. And there was... There's nothing wrong with that just because it was so based around community, right? Um, and even though, like, this this was a third world country, it was shocking to see the differences in culture and living standards between Nicaragua uh, and America. Uh, but what struck me is that the people that we were ministering to and really um, helping out through this mission trip, um, how much more joyful they just seemed, how much happier and more built-in community they seemed, how much fuller of life they seemed um despite those differences and it's like what's going on right how how are they able to obtain that despite the differences in living quality and if that should be natural for all of us how come america we don't have that it's a hard question i feel like it has a lot to do with this yeah say the the big uh what's the word i'm looking for like a there's a word for certain words that will spark 
controversy it's a trigger word i guess trigger that word, would be yeah, yeah. Uh, but like it has a lot to do with capitalism um but yeah but yeah just i think even within america it's not the same culture being in like a city or a relatively urban environment uh versus you know being on the farm you know like being on a farm there's a lot of very similar you know you gather for a meal you know you uh, have that community uh you know or being just in an, in a rural environment um and i just think that in america that rural environment is less common whereas like in other countries you're kind of even within a somewhat of a city you kind of share a lot of similarities to yeah. i have to make my own meal you know i have to I, you know, I'm connecting with these other people. Uh, I'm working less of a nine to five and more just kind of, I don't know. It, it has a lot to do with capitalism, I yeah. think. And I think that individualistic mm-hmm. lifestyle um, is really harmful. Something that my educational psychology class has taught me is that environment plays a lot into development. And because our brains are so plastic, they are constantly being changed, and one of the ways they're being changed is by who we associate with and the places where we grow up. And so I think for kids who grow up in America, and to Talon's point, if you know half of the children in America never go out of the country, they're only raised in that environment, and if they never even go out into the more rural settings, then that does fundamentally change the way that their brains develop as they think about how one should live life and what should constitute an appropriate day, what matters, all those things are all intertwined. Yeah. And it's it's more that, you know, almost half, if not half, of Americans have never left the country. It's that we don't even really know what's happening in other countries. We're not mm-hmm. up to date with the news and what's going on in these other countries around the world, aside from maybe a couple of um, countries that we just hear in the news all the time, such as Russia, China, Ukraine. Um, and that's usually just because either they're like in a war or they're going through a climate catastrophe, right? And um, a, lot of, go ahead. a lot of times they're in the discussion because they affect America yes. a lot. <laughs> yes, as long yeah. if it's relevant to us, it's like we don't really hear about countries unless they're somehow involved in U.S. affairs. Um, and so something I want to bring up is, would you all say it's important that we stay up to date with everything that's going on in other countries? And if so, why? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't do the best job myself. In fact, I'm trying to do better at being knowledgeable on current events, but I do acknowledge it as something important to be able to stay in the conversation and have an opinion on different things that are happening. I would agree. I think that we can egotistically think that we can just jump into a conversation and give some sort of blatant opinion about things that are happening in the world, but if we haven't actually taken the time to learn about the background behind those events, then it's a very ill-grounded opinion that we're just asserting. And to a point Michael made earlier, there are so many things that happen in different cultures that are acceptable and not acceptable. And when we aren't willing to know what those things are, we lose a lot of the opportunity to respect and honor those from other cultures because we just don't know the way that we should act. And that's our fault. So I think that it is very important for us to be aware 
of what's going on in the world and then the appropriate way to respond. Yeah. I think there is somewhat of a balance uh, because, sure, you know, it's good to be aware of things that are happening outside of, you know, what happens directly to us. But, like, unfortunately, as human beings, like, there's only a certain degree to which we can care about stuff that we don't experience. Um, Like, to most Americans or most people in general, it won't come to a shock. It won't come as much of a shock that there, there is, like, insane poverty in other countries. There is actual, like, uh, there, there is still slavery in the world. Um, there's, you know, uh, cultural, like, there was this whole thing within China um, and Muslims, China, you know, putting Muslims basically in concentration camps. Uh, but, like, if we just start looking and keep looking and, like, finding out everything wrong with the world and all these different problems, uh, there's only to a certain degree in which we can care, particularly because there's only to a certain degree into which we can do something about it. Um, and I think I think a lot comes down to do you have like connections with people around the world? I think that that's huge. Um, like having just going on a mission trip, as you guys were saying, or like an exchange program, uh, and just being like, yeah, I have friends in Portugal, you know, and there's this thing happening in Portugal. What is happening affects their lives, right? And I think that kind of makes a little bit of a difference to actually have people to connect it to, uh, because if not, then at the end of the day, like, it, as much as you want to care, really has nothing to do with you. Uh, and that's not fully your fault, but it's a little bit idealistic to be like, yeah, we should care about things that happen all over the place because you can't really unless you have a reason to. Yeah. Well, I would say that we do have a reason to. Um, And I agree with you that there's a certain degree to which we should because, like you were saying, if we continue to dive deep and look at everything wrong that's going on with the world, um, it'll start to affect us heavily almost like we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, right? Uh, But I would also say that there should be some sort of healthy degree to which we are aware of it, um, and we shouldn't just be oblivious to it. We shouldn't have the mindset of, oh, well, it doesn't affect me, um, therefore I shouldn't be aware of it, therefore I shouldn't be up to date with it. Because the question that people ask, um, it's a very good question, is like, even if I know about it, what can I do about it? There's nothing I can physically do if I don't have connections to it. Uh, I would disagree um, because we as Christians, we do have something that we can do. We can be persistent in prayer because prayer is the work that God has called us to do on this earth. So when we're praying specifically to the degree and specificness that we pray for, when we're praying specifically for say, an economic collapse in Venezuela or persecuted missionaries in other countries, right? When we're praying specifically for that, God moves. God moves, and I think a lot of people forget that, that prayer is the way that God changes the wrong and the evil that's working in this world because it's almost like, why do we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because this perfect will is being done in heaven, but it's not being done on the earth. And the way that it gets done is through prayer through us lifting it up to him and asking him to move. I think there's, because you were talking about like a balance, 
think there's a balance because if you, like, I can tell you all about the economic and political situation in Venezuela and that being the disaster that it is. I can tell you about the gov- the political situation in Spain and the disaster that that is. Um, I can, you know, we can start talking about Turkey and, like, the earthquake that happened in there. Um, and, like, it shouldn't be that if it doesn't happen to America, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But then there's also a certain degree to which you can't be like, well, I need to be aware of it all, right? Right, because there's only so much you can be keeping up with, praying about, and, like, uh, caring about. Yeah. Like just just realistically, because there's so many countries, so many cultures, so many things happening in the world. Um, and that's why I think your point about connections to other people is so important. Several years ago, my family did somewhat of an exchange program where we had students from Belarus spend time in the summer with us. And so now I know that Dadik and Marina, they live in Belarus. And so what happens there, that matters more specifically to me because of my connection to them. Versus some other country, yes, maybe it still matters, but because of the connection that I have to those specific kids, I think it makes a big difference in regards to how close you feel to what is happening in a different part of the world. Yeah, and the question I have is, how do we find that balance? How do we find that balance of, if we're connected to a country, of course, we should be aware of that, but everything else, how do we find that balance of being aware of global matters and global news to the point where it's healthy, but not to the point where it's unhealthy. I think you just have to know your own limits, but not, you don't want to push limits. You just want to know what you are able to maintain in terms of learning about events that aren't directly affecting you. You know, you want to learn those without it starting to because I understand Michael's point a lot, which is like, because you can't um, change what happened with the earthquake in Turkey, um, as in you can't change that it happened and that it has already impacted so many people, um, there is an element to which it is just simply going to weigh on you as you continue to learn about more disasters around the world. And it's just going to weigh on you, whereas you can't actually... Um, be there to to solve things and provide that aid that you really want to. And so I think a lot of people, um, you know, some people are more sensitive to those sorts of things than others with how that just weighs on them and really starts to change their mood and disposition. And then they have to sort of cut that off a little bit because they're noticing it's impacting their daily life. And so I just say keep it as a reasonable amount of being able to not be oblivious, but also if all of us knew all of the evil and bad that was going on around the world at this moment, it would probably be enough to completely overwhelm us um, just instantly. I think a lot of it has to do and kind of comes all around people. Like it, trying to find that balance uh, because Really, what we've been talking about is what can we learn from, like, other countries. And we yeah. talked about culture. And culture is really just the way in which people live, right? It's, it's all about just the mindset and perspective and experiences of people. And as far as experiences are concerned, a lot of culture comes down to what happens to them, right? 
lot of American culture has to do with just the way that American government runs and American economics runs and um, the way in which people live their life because of the way that their, their country runs. So like if you were talking about Venezuela and Venezuela's economic and political situation, it's kind of analogous to be talking about the culture because that's what people experience. Or in talking about Turkey, it's more than just, oh, this bad thing happened. It's this bad thing happened. What does that say about like the way in which the people live? You know, how is that affecting people's lives? And what is, what is, in what ways do these experiences affect people's thoughts and mindsets? I think that's kind of where you find that balance. And all that comes to is trying to have conversations with more people outside of, you know, the country, which is why I, I really like, um, you know, mission trips and foreign exchange programs and all that. I think that's something that a lot of people should do because at the end of the day, just because there's only so much you can research about a place, um, just having conversations with people from a different culture, that's how you kind of broaden your horizons and see it in perspective. And that's yeah. one of the good things about living in America. Really, all you have to do is go to Greenville and you have a whole bunch of Hispanics, a whole bunch of uh, like immigrants from all sorts of different places, a lot of different worldviews. Um, so you don't necessarily have to go to another country, but it, that balance tends to come down to talk to people from other countries and other perspectives. You know, and luckily we live in a society where you can just pull up your phone and listen to podcasts, YouTubers, you know, people who talk about their experiences. Um, like I, there's probably definitely somewhere, someone from Venezuela who can tell you about what it's like to live in Venezuela in English somewhere out there on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to check your motivation for being globally aware because if to your point it's just to accumulate facts for the sake of knowing then that doesn't seem like a good reason but if the goal is to know people and to learn people's experiences then that brings a whole new light to it because if I think about how complicated my life is and all of the things that go on in my world that's the same for every other person in the world and we should have a desire to, to kind of look into the window of real people's existence, not just news headlines. And I think that helps us define the balance is when our focus becomes not just what reporters are saying about an issue, but what's happening for the actual people who are experiencing what may be going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect place to wrap up there. That was good. <laughs> but before we do end the episode, I do want to ask each of you quickly, uh, and we can start with whoever. What's one piece of encouragement that you'd like to give the listeners uh, for their week ahead? I think this might be partially because I'm a college student, but each day has something in it that makes it worth living and something that is both an opportunity for you to be blessed and an opportunity for you to bless another person. And it's just important to be on the lookout for those things. So I would encourage people to not always be looking for the flashiest moments of life, but be looking for the simple moments in a normal day where God throws 
opportunities in your path for you to to bless and be a blessing. That's good. Yeah, I would say um, even in very terrible situations that we go through, even in very tough times, um, it's it can be very helpful to look at the the positive things that are also present. Um, and that's not to say you should excuse and just ignore the bad and not acknowledge that because there is always, you know, a time and a place where you're going to go through hard situations and hard circumstances and just times in your life where nothing will go right. Uh, and you'll just have an awful week. And that's just kind of how it is. Um, but through that, keeping your mindset on, you know, maybe it's one good thing out of an entire week. That's the only good thing you have, but that can really help push you into the next week. Um, just keep a proper perspective that things will get better if it's not going well. And there's going to be those good things that are accompanying all of the hard times. I guess I'm supposed to be next. Um, <laughs> I think one thing that can be encouraging to a lot of people is knowing that every country including Italy, Spain, and Venezuela, like they also are in their own bubble. Um, and everyone can benefit from, you know, seeing different perspectives and expanding their horizons. Uh, but it's not an exclusively American problem. Um, but I think it all kind of, and this is where the encouragement comes in, it all kind of, kind of comes down to just care about people connect with people, listen to people. Like you do that um, and that's where you kind of grow as a person. Just being challenged in that way because that's, that's where all this kind of learning comes from. Yeah, that's really good. Well, thank you all so much uh, for joining me on today's episode of the Audacious Podcast. This has been great. This yeah, has thank been you. awesome. Thank of you course. so much for thank you, Talon. Yes, yeah. sir. And, uh, of course, I am your host, Talon Bomi. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Audacious Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>